Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode, the fifth episode, in fact, of Tell Me About Your D&D Character, a podcast where people get a chance to talk about their role-playing characters from different tabletop role-playing games, whether it's Dungeons & Dragons, or Shadowrun, or Vampire the Masquerade, or whatever they really enjoy playing. Uh, This is their chance to talk about it. I'm your host, Jeremy, and today I'm talking to streamer and good friend of mine, Mike Devani. Some of you might know Mike from his Twitch stream, DR Chops, where he plays a lot of awesome games. Occasionally you might hear my voice when we're playing something, something like Among Us, or if he ever gets back on Fortnite and we, uh, we get slaughtered. But he is also a survivor of our home game with, um, with Ben Byrne. You might remember a couple of weeks ago, I talked with Ben about his setting of Aurelia. So when we mention Aurelia in this, that's what we're talking about. Uh, in, we don't touch on it too much. It's more about where the ideas for Mike's characters come from and what he gets out of role-playing rather than adventures themselves. Today we're talking about his character, for the most part, his character of Snick Chop, which really, it's worth just listening to. Uh, so without any further ado, I'm going to get into the episode. So, Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jeremy. Pleasure to be here. Oh, well, that's very nice of you to say. I wanted to talk to you because we've been playing together for three years now. Three magical years. <laughs> and you've always had a lot of really interesting characters that you brought to the table from the very first time we sat down, really. And I wanted to get a bit of infam- or a bit of background about where you're coming from with your game, where your play style comes from, what games you enjoy, what characters you enjoy too. So, Mike, tell me about your D&D character. Not a problem. I, I probably would like to say uh, thank, thank you for giving me the compliment of having uh, a number of interesting D&D characters. Um, I think that the, the way that I bring my characters to the game, um, you know, from the first session that they join in, they're not very interesting on paper. Um, you know, they just come in as some pretty, pretty, pretty well just stock standard, almost stereotypical concepts. Like I had the um, I had the high AC dwarven cleric, you know, life cleric to start with. Yeah, the walking tank. Yeah, yeah. Uh, moving on from there, I had the uh, I had the Asimar, divine soul sorcerer. Um, you know, Raphael. I had the uh, another Asimar who was a. Uh, Conquest Paladin. Oh, it was um, Conquest Paladin. All right, cool. I think so. Um, it's been a while since uh, Rest in Peace to yeah. Zacharias. I think it was Conquest. It might have been Redemption. Not mm-hmm. entirely sure. Um, and that character sheet, you know, it was on D&D Beyond, so we couldn't tear it in half like tradition dictates, but I did permanently delete it to honour his, honor his sacrifice. Um, and I had and I have Snick Chop. Um, you know, who is the half-orc mastermind rogue who by itself is not very stereotypical at all. Um, but, you know, he he comes in. I think he's probably the most interesting character on paper, probably the least interesting one in game, which is oh, the no, exact the opposite of game. the other ones. I think he's the most amusing in game. That's true. Um, there's absolutely no character growth. He's very reliable and consistent in the way he acts, but... Um, every other character that I've played, though, the the quote-unquote serious characters, um, 
by by the grace and the um, by the grace and the sheer um, emotional investment of every other player that we have at the table, including yourself as as well as the DM, um, the characters become more interesting as they grow and evolve, and uh, that that's a testament to the you know to the, the talents um, of everybody at the table and not just myself because the the story grows and develops and evolves and so do the characters with it. Um, so with the stick chop character, um, the one that we'll talk about today, um, he was originally just a character I created for a one shot, um, that we were going to do just for kicks one time. And, uh, it was a character that I designed with no intention of ever using again, and, uh, largely a character that I wanted to do just for giggles and for a bit of a funny character, much unlike every other character I've made. Uh, most of the other characters I've made are quite serious and soulful or willful individuals and whatnot. Uh, whereas Snickchop is a thieving, cunning, lying and despicable, skinny, runty, wiry, half-orc mastermind rogue that thinks far too much of himself and is continually after trying to wheel and backstab his way to the top. Um I modelled him largely after. Imagine Bricktop mm-hmm. from the the classic Guy Ritchie movie Snatch. Imagine Bricktop, but without any without any level of success or <laughs> reputation or or talent. <laughs> um, someone that believes he should be head honcho of the organised crime throughout Aurelia. Um, or whatever reality he finds himself in, uh, yet he continually screws it up and um, continually pisses off the wrong people and continually makes a whole lot of consistently very poor life decisions uh, that lead to him always staying at the bottom rung of the ladder. (laughs) And um, because he's always been a one-shot character and only ever used with the intention of being a one-shot, Every time he fails, it's always good for a laugh. And it's, uh, I have no real degree of frustration there at all because it's funny to see a character fail like that that you know is never intended to go on to bigger and better things. Um, but he's also quickly become one of my favourite characters uh, because he is so dispensable mm-hmm. and um, nobody else around the table needs to treat him as anything as such. And everyone around the table knows that as as uh, as poorly and as despicably as they may treat Snick Job, I'm totally fine with it. You know the the you know it's no holds barred. Oh, he's completely disposable, and people. I think every time he comes to the table, there's the first half hour or so where all the characters are like, oh, this is a new person that I will have to deal with, and they quickly realize who Snick Chop is and loathe him, absolutely loathe him. They sure do. And the most amazing thing is that Snake Chop seems to survive. Yeah, man. Like <laughs> he just that, keeps on... He's like a cockroach. That, that half-orc relentless endurance, uh, like, you know, racial uh, ability has saved him countless times yeah. from what would have been certain death for any non-half-orc character. So it's, it's very fortunate for Snick Chop as a character that I, the player, chose half-orc as his mm. race because if I hadn't... He would have been dead about ten times over by now, and killed outright as well. Not just um, not just gone to zero and then been left for dead, but killed outright multiple times would have been the case if he was not a not a half orc. I'm just thinking of the games that 
we played where I was running and, and Snick Shop was in it. And I believe he, he was thrown off a bell tower at one point. No, he dove out of a bell tower, tried to escape and failed a dexterity check on the way down. So that means yeah. he also took one of his party members with him. That's right. And he managed to maneuver himself in the air so that he landed on top of the party member beneath him. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> relentless endurance on his way back to one health on the big splat mm-hmm. landing <laughs> and then rolled off the dead body of the teammate beneath him to narrowly manage being shot with crossbows from the enemies that were still up above on the top of the bell tower <laughs> and then he ran like hell <laughs> see i feel that that is probably the key to what makes nick chop so memorable that he just he does these ridiculous things that you would never expect anyone to survive and he comes out not on top never on top <laughs> but he comes out alive and that's enough to remember oh for sure he's he's like the foul mouth team rocket of um yeah. every D game he comes into <laughs> i'll say this is i'll ask you in a sec well actually i'll ask you what your favorite memory of stick shop is if it's not the the bell tower one my personal one is that another one in the game i was running where he was um in debt to a halfling crime family for quite a lot of money (laughs) and you just saved somebody and heading back to town you hadn't found any treasure you'd found some bottles of wine and some jewels but they weren't half enough to cover the debt so snick drop (laughs) drinks the wine to drown his sorrows and comes back to learn that the wine is worth like ten thousand gold pieces which would (laughs) easily have covered any money that he owed and then some and he's just looking at the wine bottle (laughs) as he realizes oh what have up. i done <laughs> and it's it's those kind of moments that seem to carry every it's not even planned they're never planned yeah. you have no idea that but they come through every single time you play the character but what's your favorite uh, moment for snake shop uh that one's right up there as well the one that i would personally pick and it was again in the game that you were running um i joined a party that um a party of freedom fighters and crime fighters with um you might remember that one of the party members was a fellow by the name of the purple avenger i yes. think it was yes and um they were all about fighting crime and doing the right thing and taking yep. out the organized crime of the, the underworld and um you know they they didn't know stick chop when he came in you know so he managed to wheedle his way into the party for um you know for the sake of security from other forces and things chasing him um and one of the encounters in the final session of that campaign that that mini arc uh was we fought very very hard uh to save two runaway star-crossed lovers Mm. uh from uh what i what i remember to be the two ruling classes the two ruling families within a particular city in your setting um, they were forbidden to be in love and, you know, they, they were forbidden to fraternise and whatnot. However, they chosen to throw tradition to the wind and much like Romeo and Juliet, Montagues and Capulets, you know, these uh, these two star-crossed lovers decided that, you know, their love was more important than following the, the despicable wishes of their two warring families. And um, so thus there were two families worth of people attacking us trying to get those two people back and uh we fought very very hard and um it came very very close multiple times but we managed to finally secure a um, a proper victory in protecting these two from their would-be uh captors um and after the final battle everybody in the party after the battle was won and you know the the two 
um, you know, the two uh, the two star-crossed lovers were, you know, resting and recuperating in the background and the party was having a chat about, well, this is great, what do we do now? And then they form a bit of a plan of how do we get these people to where they're going to be safe? Let's figure out a plan of how to transport them there. And after they have finished that discussion and turn around to begin putting that plan into action, I speak up and I say, it's probably pertinent to discuss what Snick Chop was doing while that conversation was taking place. And they turn around to find Snick Chop with the knife at the throat of one of the captive uh, one of the captive people and saying, right, there's only one way I'm going to get out of debt and get my way, buy my way back to freedom and save my life. And that's by taking this one back to her family and claiming the reward. And the rest of the party watched helplessly as Snick Chop inched towards the door at the back of the building. And Snick Chop with you know holding the um holding the the captive there reaches behind him flings open the big barn doors that were there and turns around and gets ready to flee to safety only to find a massive contingent of guards standing there pointing their arrows bows and arrows at him and then he's just like oh no <laughs> and he he kind of just throws the captive away in disgust at another failed plan and then gets riddled with arrows and put down with the one health point again <laughs> riddled with arrows again to put him down to zero proper and then he was taken captive and taken away to god knows what purpose <laughs> but he managed to survive another encounter but it was another disastrous plan but that was that i think that probably rates as my number one because he yeah. he believed that he was this close to finally mm-hmm. pulling off the big mm-hmm. score. He, everything but, was in place. <laughs> but And it was like, you know, here's, here's your salvation from debt and death served to you on a silver platter. Mm-hmm. But then a snick chop thing happened <laughs> and it was all taken away from him at the last moment yet again. Oh, so I think wonderful. that probably rates as my number one as well because the, it also it also um, had a really, really fun impact on the rest of the party as well, because none of them saw that coming either. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, a, that, was a, that was a fun surprise for them when it happened at the table. And, you know, with, with the players themselves, you could, all, you, know, you could see everybody's faces go into their hands in, mm-hmm. like, disappointment and shame. But that was kind of exactly what I was looking for. I was playing Snick Chop, and that's exactly the kind of thing that they would do, you know? That's it is. It's that's what you do when you can do something like that and have everyone at the table really enjoy it. It's like when you can say that's what my character would do, and have everyone go, yeah, that's exactly what you do. I'm glad that he did that because it was really <laughs> enjoyable for everyone. Oh, totally. I could see the glee in your eyes when that moment happened as well. And, you know, in hindsight, it's because you knew what was coming. I did. You knew I, that there were guards outside that yeah. door before the door opened. <laughs> I knew the place was surrounded and they all had crossbows and I just like, oh, this is going to be great. Oh, yeah. It's so hard not to to smirk when that happens and see it coming and just be like, I don't want to give it away because it's just going to be this great scene for everyone. Oh, for sure. Like you were saying before, Sneak Chop's kind of a departure from what you normally play. Uh, I know you normally, I mean, you've gone with the clerics, paladins, celestial soul sorcerers. So they're all kind of a little bit more of the the good side of it. Um but where did you, that's your, your standard um, character that you go to, where did you come into D&D from? Is this something that you've always thought, this is an interesting character I want to play and this is an opportunity to do it? Like when you're playing other video games, do you normally go for the righteous path, the, the light side path, if there's, there's games like that? Uh, yes, the short answer is you yeah. pretty much hit the nail on the head there. 
um whenever i'm playing video games that are open world and player agency and free choice i always take the good path mm-hmm. um you know when playing um when playing baldur's gate i always play one of the lawful good paladins is my general go-to when i play vampire masquerade bloodlines i always go with a high humanity kind of storyline path and help people more often than hurt them um you know when, when that's generally the kind of path that i follow because for me um i believe it creates a more interesting personally rewarding story um for me it's um it's it's a preference of i'd like there to be happy endings in the games that i play um, there are exceptions of course where, where there is a, a masterfully written story of, you know, deep emotional impact and there is no happy ending, um, you know, then that that's not something that I consider a negative or a loss. Uh, but if if it's... But that, that is generally in the games where I'm playing through a linear preset storyline with a set ending, um, as opposed to when I'm playing the games that your choices and your actions affect the general outcome of a storyline. Uh, it's, it is always my preference to go with the good aligned path through a game for sure. Mm-hmm. It's simply just a pure personal preference of, I like to do good things. I like to help people and I like to see people happy, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, and I don't mind putting an effort to do so. Uh, whether that is in real life or in video games, just me as a person. Hmm. Um, So when it comes to creating D&D characters, I'm very, very similar in that regard. Um, You'll, throughout the years that we've played, um, with Snickchop being the exception, you'll note that every single one of my characters has been good aligned as well. Um, You know, you had Barilon, a dwarven life cleric, who he, he was a bit gruff and he was a bit angry, but by and large... He was all about doing good things, saving the realm, helping people, and always looking for the best in everyone and everything around him. Um, you had Zacharias, a, um, a dumb as a post, yet heart of gold, um, accidental paladin, um, you know, that all he really wanted to do was be there to hang out with his adopted little sister, Mary, and look after her and, you know, travel where she wanted to travel on her grand adventures and just try and make sure and be there that no nothing nothing bad would happen to her or nobody would hurt her and um, then found himself wrapped up in uh, circumstances far beyond what anyone could have expected and you know on the grand adventure that he went on through Aurelia in Salvasura. Um then you had Raphael you know the divine soul sorcerer who Raphael he he is a bit of an asshole for sure um, but but he means well he does mean well he does mean well and uh, he's all about trying to do good for the world and save the world. He He's very much of an opinion that the empire, that is the ruling empire of Aurelia, um, is a foul and corrupt institution and he hates it and that colours most of his actions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's still very, very good aligned and wants to, wants to do good and see people benefit from his actions. The, the key thing that links all of those characters is the fact that they are long-term characters mm. and they're not one-shots or they're not um, temporary mini-arcs or anything like that, which is what Snickchop went into games for. No, it seems like they have a very specific goal and mm. mindset when you're, you're creating them. 
Absolutely. So the, the big difference between those characters and my Snick Chop character, um, the difference is that the the long-term characters, um, as I mentioned earlier on, uh, I come into the game with a with an easy and simple character design and then it evolves over time. And that's because, to me, the D&D campaign is all about the evolution of the story and playing out a very, very great and emotionally impactful uh, story arc and seeing, seeing the world evolve as we do so. And my actions in the game hopefully having some impact on how that world evolves as a result. And um, those characters, I get to follow my preferences and my characters acting as good as they can to the benefit and uh, for the saving of the realm that they're in. Mm. Um, because I'm all about just experiencing a great story and, you know, it's not about the winning or the losing or the mechanics or the min-maxing. None of that matters to me. That's that's all... Um, all of that stuff is is just how do we make work what I want to make work. But the most important thing for me is the the story, you know, yeah. and the interaction with the other players and characters and the story itself. Whereas with Snick Chop, it's like what I do with this guy doesn't matter because if I don't, if I never come back to Snick Chop ever again, that's totally fine. He's he's no, he's not going to have any lasting impact. He's not going to be around as a long term character at all. So you know, what, let's just do something for the lols, you know. Um, so that's the big difference between them. And yet, you still maintain that level of connection with the other players and that level of investment with Snick Chop, even though he's just this one shot character. Mm-hmm. So it's like um, I don't get a lot of joy out of Snick Chop's life choices or his perspectives. <laughs> just his pain. You know, just yeah, that. But mainly the um, mainly the comedic value of having someone despicable fail repeatedly again and again in the drastically hilarious ways. You yeah, know? particularly, and it's unplanned, is the most amazing thing that Snick Chop... Oh, yeah. His failure is never written in stone. It looks like he will succeed sometimes, and it just falls out that way. Might be oh, poor totally. roles. Although, speaking Maybe of, your, so. your poor roles are legendary at our table. <laughs> that sure are. Uh, Maybe not poor roles in total, generally I, your initiative roles... I get a little bit sad every time I get asked to roll for initiative because I know how that's going to go. <laughs> I remember one character, um, another one-shot character I created had like a plus 12 to initiative mm-hmm. and I would still often be coming last yeah. <laughs> in the initiative order. It's yeah. like you'd still roll really well, but everyone else has just beefed up everyone. Yeah, yeah. I can't. I, I mean, I remember one time as Barrelon, I rolled a natural 20 on initiative several times, but I still came last every single time. Yeah. <laughs> That's just a dwarf thing, I find, that it's all... Dwarves, they're slow for some reason. It's just... Yeah. Whether it's initiative I, I, or I transcend. I transcend the bad dwarven luck, though, and that it extends across all of my characters. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. What about when you're running games? Does the bad luck extend to that? Because uh, you're running a vampire game for us at the mm. moment. And I would well, say that the luck has not extended it towards that. You roll pretty well when it's against us. Well, yeah, interestingly enough, um, the amount of roles in Vampire is a fraction of the amount of roles made in Dungeons & Dragons, you know, um, just by, you know, the, the style and the system of the game that it is. Um, I do tend to find that I do roll better in Vampire mm. than in uh, D&D, and I feel like that's probably just the dice gods looking down and just saying, you know what? 
you don't enjoy it when you roll poorly, but you know what's even better? Nobody else is going to enjoy it when you roll well. So <laughs> let's let's screw you over like this. <laughs> uh, it's interesting that I mean you love running Vampire Forest. I hope. Oh yeah. And it was something that when you mentioned it, we were all like, yeah, that sounds really fun. We'll give it a try. But it's interesting that Vampire feels like it's a very different world from the characters you've just said that you enjoy playing, the the ones that are trying to create a better universe, a better society for everyone, the, the good aligned characters. Whereas I remember a vampire game you ran for us where we had to choose between burning down a church and killing a child. And these were the only options. I mean, not the only options. We came up with a third option, but these were those, the ones. Those set were out the for options us. that were. Those were the options that were presented to you. Ah, I see. I see. I love that the us as players just kind of grabbed onto those. Went, I guess we're burning down a church tonight. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> we're I not mean, looking for a third option. Just going to burn down a church. Well, that's it. Player agency. You you could have gone with point plan A. You could have gone with plan B, or you could have chosen to create a plan C. And player agency was you guys went with the plan A. That's totally fine. Absolutely, totally fine. So when you're running a game like Vampire, are you looking to give players, I guess, negative options so that they can find a positive? I don't think so entirely. Um, because with um with with the system of vampire and with the world that I that I create, um, the world of darkness is not a happy place. Per se no it's darkness it sure is uh you know the humanity might be the most populous race and by extension the most powerful by sheer force of numbers but humanity are cattle humanity are lambs and puppies compared to the the forces that are operating in the world itself and none of those forces have the interests of humanity at heart whatsoever the I think that the reason I love the World of Darkness setting is not so much because any of it matches the way I want the world to be. Heaven forbid, you know, that'd be a horrible world to live in yeah. for sure. Um, but I do love horror movies. I do love, you know, the in particular the suspense horror or the psychological horror kind of movies. Um, you know, not the not the slasher and the the gore flicks, you know, that have become very very mainstream. But I love the kind of horror and suspense films that really have a deep seated impact on the way that you view the world around you and the way that you manage to get a little bit more of a positive spin on the world around you because you get some insight into how horrible the world could be. To something like Event Horizon. Yeah, spot on. Event Horizon, the original Japanese, The Ring, um, a bunch of uh, Black Mirror episodes um, really, really sat sat deep with me. Um, the storyline of The Last of Us 2, um, you know, th- these kinds of horror. Um, you know, uh, the, the French, and I don't recommend anybody watches this because it, it would be... Um, you know, I would need to list a long list of trigger warnings for for content within it. But the French horror film Martyrs um, from, I think it was 2008, I think that film is number one of my horror films of all time. But holy sensor beep, I, um, <laughs> I actually lost like two nights sleep after watching that film Martyrs, um, you know, because there was nothing supernatural about it. Um, it was just horror that played on the psyche and showed just how much of an impact 
um, that human psychology and psychotic disorders and that can really have on real people, you know, in, in extreme situations. Um, in the world of darkness, it's much like that. Um, you know, it's, it's a horrifying world with horrifying creatures mm -hmm. and with very limited ability to do good. But by and large the characters in the game are not characters that are interested in doing good, but mainly interested in survival because in the world that they are in survival is the golden rule. And there's not much opportunity to survive in that world. If all you're doing is trying to, you know, be the good guy and, you know, save the innocents and protect the weak and all of that, that stuff's going to get you killed. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that, that's never going to go well for you. Um, you know, in, in any circumstance in the long term. but those who are a bit more selfish or a lot more selfish and are a lot less humane mm -hmm. and so on and so on. Those are the ones that are successful in the world of darkness and those are the ones that climb the ladder and gain power and gain reputation and so on and so on so it's a fun challenge for me how do i create a game where that kind of behavior is rewarded mm -hmm. and that kind of behavior is not considered bad you know that kind of behavior is considered normal or you know beneficial for the characters at the table but how can I do it in such a way that prevents the players from feeling dirty about the, the things that they're performing, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's that's the key challenge for me in terms of running a World of Darkness game. And I feel like we've kind of strayed pretty far from the question that you originally answered. Um, that's all right. I, no, but a uh, question that you originally asked. Um, but for me, the the difference between the the preferences that I have in terms of wanting everything to be good they're always being a happy ending and good triumphing over evil. Uh, the big reason I'd depart from that from World of Darkness is just because it makes for such a better and easier to run story mm -hmm. in my mind. For modern day World of Darkness, like you look at the series like Buffy and Angel and those kinds of series and TV and spoiler alert, there wasn't really a happy ending at the end of those either because when the world is full of so much evil and so many horrible, powerful creatures, how can there really be a happy ending? But how can you have a compelling story and have the characters not feel like dirt and feel horrible about the choices that they're making in the game, still have fun, but still play into that whole survival of the cruelest kind of mentality? And I hope... I hope that we're I hope that we're going in the right direction. I hope I'm getting some success in running the game in in a way that makes that palatable. Um, I do know that I'm getting a lot of joy out of the way the game is going on my end for sure. I think you definitely are in that regard. I think one of the things about Vampire is that it's very easy to have character interaction that it does kind of rely on, like you were saying, survival. But it's almost the play not players against each other but it's certainly kind of jockeying for position because there is that element of the politics, the Camarilla. Well, we'll sure, we'll talk. If, you've, if you're familiar with Vampire, you kind of know what we're talking about. Um, but there is that, that clash between characters themselves rather than the world. So there is that little bit of a struggle on people playing off each other and maybe trying to get a little bit ahead, but it doesn't actually matter if you do or not because it's all swings and roundabouts. And as long as you're still there at the end of the session, that's a good thing.
spot on. And um, it's also a very much a sense of you're always a small fish in a big pond. Yeah. Um, you know, in the in the world of darkness, there's always somebody more powerful or more cunning or more smart or somebody with better connections than you. So how can you survive in such a world and what will you do to do so? Hmm. That's in, It's just interesting to have those two different takes of role-playing games that you really enjoy. Is they, was Vampire really your first foray into tabletop role-playing games or was there something before that? D&D was, was my first foray because um, before I moved states and uh, came to live over here, um, I must have played Dungeons & Dragons only about maybe five, six, seven times at the table with, um, you know, with some friends back in my hometown. That's still quite a lot. Yeah, and, and it was every single time it was a one-shot adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I generally also played with people that were very, very experienced in Dungeons & Dragons. So they were all, when I was playing my first games ever with them, they were all very, very experienced. So they were playing homebrewed versions of Dungeons and Dragons that were entirely different to, you know, I mean, not entirely different, but had, had a very interesting spin on what the original system was. Like one, one that sticks out in my mind was when they had a one-shot session where it was every single character had to have some kind of half-animal mutation um, so I ended up playing a half snake man. That was um, that was a ranger archer or something like that. I can't that sounds really recall. cool. Um, one game that I really enjoyed actually. This only comes to memory now, and we played uh, we played several months of this. Was a D twenty modern game. Oh yeah, um, which was run in a setting of um, go back in history and change the way history worked out a bit. Um, in World War Two, the Japanese discovered cloning. And thus they managed to win World War II. So the Japanese are now um, the the master race throughout the world and they took over Australia. Um, So you play part of a resistance force that's trying to overthrow the Japanese occupation of Australia. And... um, it was there was no magic there was no there was no supernatural element to it at all um it was all completely stock standard modern day um stuff and when i say modern day i would have been talking about like 2005 or so um so a few steps back in technology from where we are today um but that game was a lot of fun and um i remember that as being a game that we a whole bunch of us stuck with for a long time because that one was just so different than um than the norm but the guy that was running it was very good and um you know he he eventually had to move away himself so he had to stop playing it but i think we that game had potential to be played uh regularly for a long time that one yeah that one's got a lot of potential because you can kind of fold in events that are happening outside the game in just the general world and go okay so that's we're just going to bring that in a little bit and you can deal with it in game oh for sure um, but that was the extent of my tabletop stuff. I, I did play some Warhammer, you know, I played some War Machine, um, you know, those sorts of things, but um, never really uh, never really made a real hobby out of any of it. Um, but then moved to, moved to, you know, my current hometown here uh, where, we, where we all now live. And um, about six months moving, after, moving out here, I was really hurting for a social circle. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of, you know, where I worked. So um, I looked up a couple of things to do. The first thing I did was join the Gridiron team. Um, Second thing I did was I looked at a local game shop that, 
its its page ran um, posts from you know customers looking to play, looking to take advantage of the the, the tables for hire um, every weeknight over there. And um, I looked on there to see if there was a Dungeon Dragons group that I could join, and I saw a fella put up a post saying, "Hey, I'm going to run a game for the first time ever. Looking to fill it out with a bunch of first time players." um or or at least new new players to D for fifth edition um please post here if you're interested um so i put my name in for that and um lo and behold uh what is it four years later yeah, four years later three, yeah four years later now that guy is my yeah that guy and his his fiance are now my housemate and mm-hmm. you know the social circle with you and the you know the others that are within there have become like my Melbourne, my, my Melbourne family. So it was very, very lucky that on that day in particular, I was looking through Facebook for something to do socially because that may very well have actually rescued my, um, my stay in here in Melbourne, you know, because yeah. who knows where I would be if, um, if I hadn't uh, been able to find such good, good people and such amazing friends and family um, at that particular moment, maybe I wouldn't be in Melbourne. Maybe I would have uh, folded and head back to my hometown. It certainly feels like Kismo. I've got a similar story, but it it's once you find that that group that you really click with, it's like you want to play all the time. You want to be involved. You become friends. You become yeah, family. Yeah. It's like a DM says. It's you know uh, feels like finding the Beatles on the first try. Yeah. Yeah, we got really lucky with that group, but everyone should kind of look out there and see what games they can find as well. But uh, you're saying D20 Modern. We're just going to go back a little bit and War Machine and things like that. Are there any games or character concepts, actually, that you'd like to try uh, in future that you've been looking at and going, hey, that looks really interesting? And if there are, what appeals to you about them? Nothing in particular when it comes to the the Dungeons & Dragons or the... um, uh, you know, the, the typical sword and horse style fantasy yeah. games like that. Um, one thing that I had a little bit of an itching to try was that well back in the day, there used to be a Battletech RPG system. Oh, yeah. Um, Battletech, where you used to have the giant mechs that would, um, you know, in, nowadays in that universe, you've got all the mech warrior and mech assault games. But there was a Battletech RPG system that had rules for you to play as a character, as in, you know, an on-foot person character um, in the world of Mecha, in the world of Battletech, where yeah. so you had systems of how to play the game when your character's not in a mech mm-hmm. and then how to play the game when your character manages to find a mech that they can use, you know? That could be really um, fun. I reckon so. Uh, the way that, um, and you know, it might not work. Might, might not work this way in reality. And I haven't been able to find a copy of the rules anywhere. Um, this is just memories from like you know, fifteen years ago when I used to work in a retail shop that sold the rule books. But um, I just from I, I just have this this idea in my brain of you know a team of secret agent government operatives. Um, that are sent on a James Bond style, you know, futuristic mission to try and sabotage one of the other ruling or, you know, one of the other nationalistic powers. Mm -hmm. And they spend most of their time outside of the mechs and they have to, you know, take on these, these missions to try and achieve these goals of sabotage um, or reconnaissance, um, sometimes outright combat, you know, interception missions, things like that. 
and they spend most of their time on foot um, or at the very least, you know, in um, uh, street level vehicles and things like that. Um, think, think of it like XCOM, the PlayStation and PC games. Um, but every now and then, occasionally, there will be calls for them to jump into a mech and uh, have those titanic, huge Gundam style size uh, size battles with these army mechs, you know. Um, See, I like the way you refer to it as James Bond and XCOM, but in my head, it looks like Power Rangers and Exo Squad and Voltron. <laughs> Hey, where they're just running could... around doing shenanigans and then suddenly and I'll form the head and they all jump in a mech and start beating up on someone. <laughs> and I'm a leg. <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah, so that that's one that's one thing that I've been interested in doing for a long time, but it's just a case of I don't have access to the rules yeah. and um, I haven't been able to find them either, which is a bit of a shame. But um, you know, hopefully one day I'll be able to come across a really old, dusty copy in in a game shop somewhere, and I'll be able to be able to you know run something like that. But yeah, oh well, hopefully, um, listeners, if you've got a copy that you you can spare, you can shoot it over to us, and we can we can get the game going. I would be eternally grateful. Well, we'll wrap it up there, um, Mike. Thank you so much for for coming on. We could talk all day. Honestly, we love talking about D and D and role playing games and. Oh, it feels like we only just started. Yeah, we kind of just started, honestly. We, I'll get you back on and we'll talk about your next character, no doubt, or just the vampire game too. But where can people find you online? If Because um, you are a Twitch affiliate, I believe. That is true, sir. Thank you. You can find me, my socials, uh, on Twitch at twitch.tv slash dr underscore chops. That's doctor underscore chops. Uh, my Facebook page, dr chops. My Facebook page, dr chops 86 all one word well and the last thing that i'll get you to do is uh, say goodbye to our lovely listeners who have had a great time listening to us ramble on about all of your characters but if you could um, step into the role of stick shop and say good farewell to them all right here listen up you you pathetic you indespicable pieces of gutter trash listening out there to this podcast you better subscribe or i'm coming for you i'm going to take your gold i'm going to take your gems i'm going to take your children subscribe or else so that's another episode done thank you so much for listening I hope you had a good time hope you enjoyed listening to me and mike talk about uh stick chop and battle tech oh i'm I am looking for that Battletech book. Um, hopefully it won't be a spoiler surprise. If I manage to find it and give it to Mike, I think you'll be surprised enough that it still exists. Uh, but if you're interested in listening to more episodes, we will be bringing these out weekly as much as possible. You can subscribe to us, follow us on SoundCloud or find us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can click follow there as well. You can leave us a review uh, too. That would be wonderful. It gets us out to more listeners. Uh, but if you've got an idea, or if you're a creator, or a musician, or a comedian, or someone, or you know someone who is, and they love D&D, or just any role-playing game, really, uh, get them to get in touch with me. The email address is tellmeaboutyourdnd at gmail.com. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook, which is both tellmeaboutyourdnd.com 
And I'm on Twitter too, which is tell me your DND, because Twitter has character limits in their usernames, so I was not able to get the full word. But all of these are DND, the letters, rather than an ampersand, because that will mess up all the programs. Until next time, thank you so much for listening. Stay safe, and may all your hits and be crits. We begin to howl.